morning and welcome to Wave Makers on WMNS with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is wild man John Dunn. If you want to join our conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 and John will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. A friendly reminder, we are deep into election season. Mail ballots have been out for several weeks, and early voting started yesterday in Sarasota, Manatee, Hillsborough, and Pinellas counties. Early voting starts tomorrow in Pasco and Hernando counties. And if you haven't made your donation to the WMNF Fall Fund Drive, please consider doing so right now. You can go to WMNF.org and hit the tip jar to show your appreciation for independent, non-commercial community radio and our Wavemakers show. Today's Wavemaker is Mallory Demet, a co-founder of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation, who became its first CEO in August of 2021. The foundation's mission is to connect, protect, and restore the Florida Wildlife Corridor that panthers, bears, gopher tortoises, snakes, and other wildlife call home. The foundation uses imagery and storytelling to call attention to the corridor and inspire protection. Conservation photographer Carlton Ward was with us. He was one of the co-founders. He was here a few months ago to talk about this work, and it's nice to have Mallory back. She's taken part in expeditions in the corridor that have resulted in documentaries, books, videos, and photos to introduce these natural areas to Florida residents. You can find a lot of them online and in other surprising places. We'll be talking about that later. And all of the work is just spectacular. Welcome, Mallory. Thank you so much for having me. So the notion for the Florida Wildlife Corridor goes back to 2009 with a young black bear with the ID tag of M34 traveled 500 miles over eight weeks in pursuit of a mate. Um, And that bear's journey revealed the existence of the statewide corridor that wildlife needs to survive. Tell us about that bear and how it led to where we are today. Yes, well, one of my colleagues in the Florida Wildlife Corridor Expeditions is a wildlife biologist named Joe Guthrie. And Joe was working on this bear study in Highlands and Glades County, South Central Florida, where they were radio collaring bears and then following their movements based on the GPS locations that the collars would transmit back to the researchers. And the bear that you referenced there in the study, M34, who's now famous because we say he inspired the Florida, the first Florida Wildlife Corridor Expedition and our work since. And as you said, he went on this long walkabout and he crossed, you know, across several counties, made his way all the way up to Interstate 4, but he was not able to get across that interstate. And after several different days, you know, days and, and locations along the interstate, he worked his way all the way back south, back down to Lake Okeechobee in the region where he first uh, was collared. And eventually his, his collar popped off as it's designed to do. And, you know, he went about his life, but that journey those dots on the map that where he traveled inspired us that if he could go on this length of journey, stay mostly, you know, stay entirely on, on conservation lands mm-hmm. that we could take a similar trek, follow an M34's foot tra- footsteps and showcase that um, as a need to protect this wonderful uh, opportunity we have hiding in plain sight right here in our backyards in central Florida. So where you went from that then was an awareness campaign that uh, built around Carlton Ward's 
uh, photography. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes, and the storytelling from the expeditions together. So Carlton's imagery was so wonderful, and then we put films um, combined with each of our expeditions, where you know we would be able to take people virtually into seeing the Florida Wildlife Corridor in its beauty, but also having you know interviews and um, stories with the folks who caretake it and steward the land, whether that was a multi-generation landowner or, um, you know, staff at our state lands that take care of our state parks, that kind of thing. So we wanted to be the uh, lens into the corridor for people who could follow along these uh, expeditions virtually. And that was for the general public or were you also targeting lawmakers well, and decision policymakers. That's right. It started out for the general public, certainly. Um, you know, we just wanted to start to build a base of support for the corridor broadly, and we continue to do that. But I think as we've gone over time, we've also gotten more specific with um, trying to message to decision makers who have who can help, you know, direct resources to permanently protect the corridor, as is our mission. And you, it took about 10 years, but then in 2021, the legislature took action. Tell us about that. Yes, it was so exciting. Um, in the 2021 legislative session, the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act was proposed and passed unanimously with bipartisan support um, to permanently uh, protect the, to inspire the protection of the Florida Wildlife Corridor and um, incentivize all of the state agencies to work together with private landowners to get it done. So it was a great, great deal for us um, to to have it recognized in state statute and the geography of the corridor formally recognized in that way. And why is it important to have a connected corridor? Right. So connected conservation gets at just the. Um, the inherent resilience for connected conservation lands rather than islands. If you think of, you know, one parcel of land that could be protected as a preserve or something, when you have connected conservation, you're increasing, um, you know, the likelihood that that place will continue to thrive, have sort of the ecosystem function with it, and that wildlife will be able to use it, which is the larger connected area makes them inherently more resilient and less susceptible to, um, you know, edge effects and disease and other things that isolated islands of population or habitat can have. So there's a a whole movement now um, around the globe for wildlife corridors that rely on connected conservation. And Florida is one of nine states with a connected corridor or working to create a connected corridor. Right. Or with some sort of corridor legislation. So, you know, we're we're starting to see an uptake in other states taking similar action. I mean, it's great to think of Florida as a leader in this space. And in in when that legislation was passed in 2021, there was some funding with it. So tell, can you tell us about that funding? Where did it come from? How much was it? Yes, the, the legislators also allocated $400 million in land and water um, funding to, to help protect the largely the corridor areas. And it came through both state funds, uh, per, like normal for our uh, Florida Forever is one of the state programs, mm-hmm. um, but it, they also were able to allocate some federal funds that came from the um, COVID relief, yeah, the CARES Act. I think. Yeah, I think the relief money to dedicate specifically to this cause. So it was great because that level of funding can really make a difference for the protection of the corridor, um, and it was able to give it that boost. And then in 2022, the legislature 
funded it at some lower level again oh, great. Um, for four hundred million, and so it, it's it's sending much needed support to two state programs, both the Florida Forever program I mentioned, and also the state's Rural and Family Lands program run through the Department of Agriculture. What's that money being used for? It goes towards actual acquisition, so either purchase of the land outright or the purchase of conservation easements, which is a great tool that allows um, you know public investment in uh, in the protection of these lands without actually having to have fee ownership and therefore the. It's an efficient use of tax dollars where you don't have to. The state doesn't take on the management of the property, um, but it does prevent future development. So if it's a if it's a cattle ranch, they can continue to run cattle. That's right. And but we know there won't be a subdivision built there in an office exactly. park or something. Yep. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom, and our guest is Mallory Dimmitt, and we're talking about the Florida Wildlife Corridor and all the work that's being done to um, protect that corridor so that there is uh, land for endangered animals and plants actually to survive. Mm-hmm. So since the, the passage of that act in 2021, there's been almost, I think, 50,000 acres that have been protected by the, is it the cabinet that makes the decision? How, how do they decide? How does that process work? Yes. So the, um, the state lands uh, agencies have a process that comes to the Florida cabinet, who is the ultimate decision makers, and they've approved in the three cabinet meetings since the act has passed 56,000 acres of new conservation lands for the state. Um, so the Florida Wildlife Corridor as a whole is about 18 million acres in size. Almost 10 million acres of it is already in some sort of conservation status, and there's a whole other 8 million acres that need protection. So every acre that's added is an important celebration, and we like to we like to you know do media around and celebrate each one. And this runs from, acres is great, yeah, but as so you mentioned, there's another a uh, lot of, 10 million, 9 million, 8 million to go. 8 and this, million this to corridor, go. just so we're clear, runs from uh, the Everglades, I guess, north. All the way to the Georgia the, state line and, and all the way and to then, the Alabama and then state west. line. That, that's, it's a huge. It's a huge swath of land. Yeah, it really is. And it's as impressive. That, as that famous bear demonstrated, though, there's a big barrier called I-4. Has that barrier been penetrated yet as a result of any of this work, or is it still – if that bear tried to make that journey again, he, he would be blocked by the – well, actually, it's getting more penetrable for wildlife, which is very exciting. So since the 2012 expedition, our first expedition, there were three underpasses that have been um, added to I-4 east of Orlando um, and where there are conservation lands on either side of the roadway. And there's a great wildlife you know, underpass system there now. And when in that first expedition, if you watch the film, you, know, you can see us as naive folks running across the four, top yeah. of the interstate. And we decided never again, you know, we would not do that. We got a lot of uh, people chastise us for that. So where we where we crossed under I-4, as you said, it goes across the whole middle of the state. So every expedition almost, we've had a, a crossing of it. But by the, our 2015 expedition, we actually went under the interstate in between um, Lakeland and Orlando. And in that area, there's a new underpass being constructed right now. So it's great to have one, you know, on the east of Orlando side, but also now west of Orlando, there'll be an underpass that connects um, the Holochi Wildlife Management Area. Um, so if you think about it, deer, bear that have been, you know, not able to reach the other side of the road now for 50 years will have that opportunity very shortly. That's, That's great. Fantastic. Um, getting back to the corridor, um, we're you, we're talking about how it's eighteen, nearly eighteen million acres. Um, a little bit more than half of it is protected already. Seven million acres of it are working lands, timberland and ranch lands. Talk to us a little bit about the connection between working lands and conservation. Yep. 
And people might not often think about, you know, ranchers and foresters as conservationists, but they are. And to us at the Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation and many of our conservation partners, you know, these are the heroes. These people have stewarded these lands for generations in most, you know, in most cases, and they're continuing to manage these lands in a way that are compatible with a wildlife corridor. So our goal is really to keep those working lands working um, for as long as possible, right? So that they're not under pressure to sell to developers, but that they can continue these agricultural operations that are in large part uh, compatible with wildlife. And, um, you know, many of our Florida ranch lands, if you think about them, are not the most intensive agricultural use. So there are a lot of natural areas. There's a lot of native vegetation. So there are lots of places of cover, all the things that wildlife need, um, as well as our native plants, um, coexists in in many cases. In that first documentary, uh, there's an interview with a rancher who talks about tree huggers and the conflict often between tree huggers and ranchers and how somehow the corridor has brought them together. Is that would would you say that's true and how has that happened? Yes, I think it's happened just through a gradual building of trust, right? Um, that we're really understanding that we're after the same thing. Many of these ranching families and uh, timber landowners, they want to be able to continue this work into the next generation and they want to be able to pass down this this land and be, keep doing their you know livelihood and way of life. And so the wildlife corridor has the same goals. You know, we want to keep agricultural um, sustainable in Florida and thriving. And so it's a great, it's a great, um, sort of symbiosis for those rural economies and rural ways of life that um, are important to the state of Florida for all of the benefits they provide, not just to wildlife, but also to our air and water. Um, If you want to ask a question about the Florida Wildlife Corridor of our guest, Mallory Dimmitt, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. We have an email right now from David Bryant who says, thanks so much for bringing Mallory on the show. She and Carlton are doing amazing work and I appreciate all their efforts. And David, I agree with you. Um, He asks, I was curious about the Deseret Ranch development being considered for Osceola County. This is a proposed huge housing development that would build more ugly houses on pristine ranch land. How would this project affect the Florida Wildlife Corridor? Are you familiar with that? Um, A little bit. And so I can't speak to the specifics of the project, but I will um, talk more generally about, you know, these large swaths of land. We were just talking about these working lands that are under tremendous pressure to convert to, you know, from ranches to rooftops, we say, right? I mean, there's a thousand people a day continue to move to Florida. And so we know there are going to be places in the corridor that are... You know, and we're not able to conserve all of it fast enough. We are going to lose some some of those acres um, to development, and so I think we're we're starting to think about our work now to work with the folks who are making those decisions, um, the private sector, to really see if there can be design considerations for wildlife corridor compatible development. And mm-hmm. so, you know, many of these larger developments do go through their own um, county or pl- other planning process where they set aside um, some acres for wetlands and wildlife habitat. And we're really wanting to integrate that into the larger corridor concept, right? So that it, so that every development can have connected conservation as we were just talking about. So important, not just within the development, but connect to other natural areas on either, you know, on all sides. So I think it's going to be an increasingly important focus of our work um, is to try to work with the the development community and the people who are designing and building our built environment in Florida to be as compatible as we can be with the natural environment. So you're not necessarily saying we want to stop development. Absolutely not. You know, our message is 
and it has always been around voluntary conservation. So we work with willing landowners who want to protect their land for future generations and for conservation. Um, and we try and find those common ground purposes. And increasingly, you know, I think we're trying to um, help landowners understand that there are alternatives to to development that might have felt like the only opportunity, but I think there are not now starting to be greater market mechanisms to pay landowners for the environmental services that they provide. And that can be a way to continue in the agriculture that they're currently operating in. And the corridor is important for the survival of species like the panthers and the bears and woodpeckers and all, there's a I have a whole list of the animals and they're all skipping my mind. But mm-hmm. And then also 500 some species of plants, I believe. But what about climate change? Is there a connection to climate change? You know, there is. There's a connection to um, resiliency, um, which is a hot topic these days in Florida and elsewhere as we're seeing more and more natural disasters. But we know that that um, natural areas can be very helpful in storm attenuation, in floodplain, you know, protection, in... Um, and, and sea level rise. If we are uh, using the Florida Wildlife Corridor to give all species sort of room to roam, then we're we're ensuring that um, each habitat type hopefully will have a place to go as they shift over time in response to changing climate or rising seas. Well, so interestingly, the corridor is really through the center of the state. It really just goes up through the center of the state. It's not, um, you know, and watching the documentaries, and we'll talk more about those, the videos, there's all this beautiful wildlife. But none of it's beaches. It's not beaches. Um, yeah, because tourists come to Florida <laughs> to go to the beach, and they don't even know about these wild lands that we have in Florida. That's right. And in the peninsula... Peninsula of Florida, it does feel like it runs up the middle of the state, but there are places where the corridor touches the coast on both coasts. Um, and so, you know, if you think about the nature coast, just north of Tampa Bay mm-hmm. area, it's not necessarily beaches. It's a low energy coastline, more marshlands, but um, a large part of the nature coast is in the Florida Wildlife Corridor. There are some places in the in the um, east coast, sort of St. John's River area as well. And then when you think across the panhandle, there are some of our white sand beaches on that um, on that beautiful coastline that are connected to larger conservation and therefore part of the corridor. So when we finished our second expedition, we finished at um, Gulf Islands National Seashore right on the beach um, as, the, as the finish spot of our second thousand mile trek. And so what, what, what I'm thinking though is that with climate change, and we talk about our shrinking coastlines mm-hmm. and sort of the narrowing almost of the state and people fleeing inland, is that a threat to the corridor, though, it, in a way? It is. You know, trying to understand those macro trends of, you know, where the development pressure is coming from. And for a long time, that's been migration into the state, right? But also, what are the shifting development patterns within our state as, you know, as people may move, start moving from the coast inland? Um, certainly, that's something that will affect the corridor and we need to think about. We also want to give, as I said, you know, wildlife that same opportunity and our native plant communities that same opportunity. So we need to protect each habitat gradient, you know, at all elevations in order to allow that, uh, 
you know, um, just migration of habitat types to occur. Yeah, because I hate to say it, but that Lake Wells Ridge, which is, I think, the highest point in the state, is would be prime development <laughs> <laughs> land when you're thinking about the fact that the seas are rising. <laughs> well, that's right. And that Lake Wales Ridge is also the place with the highest number of endemic species, species found nowhere else but right there, you know, that have evolved here in Florida and in some cases, you know, only found in Florida. And so... One of the most endangered birds in, in the country lives there, right? Yeah, remember. the Florida grasshopper Florida sparrow, grasshopper sparrow our right. Florida scrub jay, you know, yeah. other... So many plant and animal species that that um, rely on habitats found within the Lake Wales Ridge. And that's been a challenge for a long time because as people moved here, you know, they they identified that high sandy ridge as a great place for development. It wasn't yeah. flooded like the rest of our, you know, kind of wetter areas. Right. And, um, and it also was a place where agriculture thrived. So if you think about many of our citrus groves, you know, they were located on the ridge. And um, so that habitat has been divided up for a long time and there's a you know a strong campaign to protect what's left because the scrub habitats are particularly important. Yep. We've got um Jerry on the line in St. Pete. So Jerry, um, um you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hi, thanks. Um thanks for taking my call. I'm, I'm enjoying the program. Um I'm I'm assuming that the, this corridor is tied into the statewide greenway system and uh, but I'm, it's just an assumption. Can you talk a little bit about that and I'll take my answer offline. Certainly. Thanks, Jerry. Yes, the mm-hmm. Florida Greenways and Trails programs, um, you know, are designed to allow access to get people outside, right, um, through our Blue Way trails as well as Greenway trails. And there's a large overlap and sort of connection with the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Um, and the Florida Wildlife Corridor is home to thousands of miles of trails and also paddling trails. So it's a great place to get outside and the Florida Greenways, you know, focus, um, I think really does help make that um, explorable for the public. And there's also a page on our website called Explore the Corridor um, at floridawildlifecorridor.org. So, oh, okay, great. Yeah, we'd love for people to, you know, get out and, and use all of the you know, just trails and incredible resources we have in Florida. We were talking a little bit before the show about the Florida National Scenic Trail and where to go hiking. Um, and that's just one great example of a, you know, very long uh, national trail that we have here in Florida, but that people don't necessarily know about. We just got back from Vermont where we hiked every day and uh, it was beautiful. But I think a lot of people in Florida don't appreciate the, what we have right here, the hiking that's available here. It's it's beautiful. It may not be perhaps as spectacular as some places out west or up north, but it has a subtle beauty that that's right. You have to get into it to see it. Right? You do. You just we say just immerse yourself right in, whether that's wading right through the swamps. I was going to or... say you really immerse yourself. <laughs> well, that's in these a good expeditions. transition then to talk about your ex- the expeditions that you you're doing because um, one of the ways, as Tom was saying, that people don't really appreciate the beauty, but the whole the way you started all this was by helping people develop an appreciation of the beauty of the Florida landscape. And when you've gone on these expeditions, I think you have uh, four expeditions that you all have done. At least five now, yeah. Five now, okay. And um, they- Have another one planned? Yes, we do. Um, Coming up in spring of 2023 in the Ocala to Osceola corridor, sometimes called O to O, which is a part of the wildlife corridor in Northeast Florida. 
And so all of these expeditions, then you can go online and you can see the um, there's videos, documentaries, so uh, sort of that you have made out of them, and they're just beautiful. the The imagery is beautiful, very just prehistoric, sort of primordial looking, with these beautiful um, trees and the mangroves and the bromeliads and orchids and the morning mist. It's just mm. just lovely and haunting and and beautiful. Um, but these expeditions, um, again, I'll just run through some of the ones that you've done. Uh, I don't know what the most recent one was. I have the Lake Wales Ridge. You did the um, Last Green Th- Thread, which is the Everglades headwaters south of I-4 to the Green Swamp, north of I-4, Glades to Gulf, um, the, the Forgotten Coast, and then 2012 was the first one, a thousand miles in a hundred days from um, the Everglades to Okefenokee. Mm-hmm. So that was quite a trip. Absolutely. And you guys were uh, uh, calf deep or... Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Fine so, sometimes or, so I just want to talk higher. about that because when I'm when I'm hiking, I kind of want to stay on a trail, and you guys are out there literally in the muck, up even up to your necks. Is it? Aren't you worried about spiders and alligators and and snakes? <laughs> you know, not really. You get into this <laughs> rhythm um, when you're when you're out in nature, and especially when you're on a hundred day expedition, that you are just really aware of your surroundings. Kind of all of your senses are, you know, being put to their original use, and so um, you're you're taking it all in, and you're very aware of your surroundings, and you start to notice, you know, if anything is moving near you. We do see a lot of snakes um, and alligators, but we've never had any issues on our expeditions. And, um, you know, I, frankly, some of the scariest parts of our expeditions are actually where humans are involved, right? The uh-huh. road crossings or where we have to bike down the roads. That is the most terrifying part, for sure. Hmm. And so you... The, the one that you did in 2012, that was the very first one kind of laid the foundation for things. And as we talked about that, and if you, if you go and look at the videos in 2012, you were, you had to run across I-4 because I-4 just bisects the state. So it really cuts the corridor in half. Mm-hmm. Um, but since then now, there have been, from what we were just talking about, at least three and a fourth one underway right now to do under, to basically retrofit those to make the corridor work for the, the wildlife. Right. In places where the interstate is being widened or, you know, has other construction planned for it, they're adding these underpasses underneath to connect uh, wildlife habitat on both sides. So that's great. And then we can't talk about talk about this without talking about Disney because the Disney area, which is where the, is the narrowest part of the corridor. Um, and according to the, the documentary that before Disney and I-4, I imagine there were 50 different ways a bear could cross through the region. And that, I mean, that's what my notes say, but they, and then there were not. So how does, what role does Disney play? And the other thing I just, just want to mention that struck me so much is that, um, and and the the, the um, documentary about when you get to that section, it says that there are all these people there at the animal kingdom looking at zebras and giraffes, and there's this incredible wildlife just outside the theme park. That they're uh, you know they're at Animal Kingdom looking at this, the African wildlife, and right here in Florida we have all this cool wildlife. So talk about Disney. What's the relationship like with Disney, and what have they done to the corridor, and in good ways and, and bad ways? Yeah. 
So when we're talking about Disney, I think we're talking about really the growth in all of Central Florida that has surrounded this destination um, for tourism and theme parks, right? That now, you know, Florida is one of the most visited places in the world or the most visited place in the world. And so um, the, the, the growth in that region, particularly, we call it the Four Corners region, so four different counties come, you know, to all touch right there, um, is is happening just like so much of Florida at this rapid rate. And you can really see it changing in your lifetime. And so um, we did this expedition in 2018 that we called Heartland to Headwaters, where we traveled from the the Northern Everglades to the Green Swamp. And we, a large portion of that trek was actually traversing parts of Reedy Creek. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually came right up through Disney next to the uh, Wild Kingdom, as you were saying. And you could hear this theme park you know, where you were, but we felt like we were in an otherwise really wild and sort of secret location because mm-hmm. not that many people, you know, Reedy Creek has very few access po- places and it's, uh, you know, no continuous trails. And so we were just creating our own path there, but we were showing that there still is a, a very few remaining sort of narrow threads in this stretch that, that cross I-4, you know, underneath it, um, but following some of these waterways. And so the challenge is to protect them before they're gone forever. And um, the race is on in places at the edge of the metropolitan Orlando area and other fast-growing places to try and protect them before they are gone. So our expeditions have really gone from those first two thousand-mile treks where we were showcasing the beauty, and people said, but we don't understand why this is threatened from your films, right? Because you're seeing it doesn't appear that way. To now we really focus on these places on the edge mm-hmm. um, where there are on, on the edge of urban areas or where... Um, the urgency is greatest and where you can see um, that sort of threat of development looming. And we're trying to motivate the partners, conservation partners, to take action there. And so since that expedition in the Four Corners area in 2018, you know, we've inspired some county commissioners and others to get involved. And they're now making planning decisions, trying to protect this very narrow last green thread that we identified in that film. It's great to see it come, you know, into conservation action. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers and WMNF. Um, our guest today is Mallory Dimmitt. We're talking about the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And um, we will be back uh, right after this message. Many's the day with you I it's Music of the Isles on WMNF in Tampa. I'm Bill Dudley with co-host Sean Sexton. And the good news is that Music of the Isles is still on the air at 88.5. You can hear us at 6 o'clock Saturday morning just before Bluegrass or anytime you want to listen at WMNF.org slash Isles. We'll see you soon on Music of the Isles from WMNF. Before we get back to our discussion uh, with Mallory Dimmitt about the Florida Conservation Corridor, I wanted to mention that the uh, WMNF Fall Fund Drive is is over, but please consider doing so, uh, contributing if you have not done so already. You can go to WMNF.org and hit the tip jar to show your appreciation for independent, non-commercial community radio and our Wavemakers show. 
And if you're just tuning in, you, um, we're, this is Wavemakers on WMNF. Our guest is Mallory Dimmitt. We're talking about the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And if you want to join the conversation or you have a question about the corridor, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. And we did get a... Um, Email from somebody who wanted to mention that the point out that the Deseret ranches are actually owned by the Mormon Church, and uh, that is correct. Charles Parker, they are. It is owned by the Mormon Church. I believe that they were the maybe the second largest landowner in Florida at one point. I don't know if they still are. I think they've started to develop some of their property. Um, we were talking about the expedition. So, question for you: How? What percentage of those expeditions were on actual trails, and what were actually? bushwhacking, you know, just out there sort of following, a, a using a compass and a map, so to speak? Good question. I'm not sure we documented the exact percentage. I would say they mostly followed existing trails, um, and some of those are paddling trails, um, or existing trails are, you know, waterways to navigate. But it feels like the small percentage that was not on trail is maybe larger than it was because those were the slow going days. Those are the days you remember when mm-hmm. you are bushwhacking and kind of making your own way. Um, and route finding, it just, um, at the miles don't come as fast, right? So you're, and, and, and they're very memorable. Um, so in that, Last Green Thread Expedition, for example, on Reedy Creek, we were wayfinding, you know, most of the route there, not on a trail. And um, at one point, you know, we felt like we'd been traveling all day and we'd really only made it like a mile from where we started. <laughs> were you Were you on, was it all public lands or were you on private land as well or... Public lands, um, and well, on these expeditions, we do we do travel on both. So we reach out and work ahead of time with private landowners to get permission to cross um, their land, so that we can keep going from one to the next to the next in a sort of transition in the way wildlife would travel, rather than only doing you know public lands. But a large portion of them are on public lands, and we try and highlight places where the public can get out and repeat sections of what we've done on the publicly accessible. And areas. You, it wasn't planes, trains, and automobiles, but it was kayaks. Bikes, paddle boards, canoes, foot, horses. (laughs) So that's right. So many different modes of of hiking, transportation, so to speak. Yep, we we say self powered, um, but I'm not sure if horseback really counts as self powered. But we have enjoyed some uh, areas via horseback. Well, the the documentaries uh, have certainly inspired uh, folks to get involved. Uh, You already mentioned, I guess, a county commissioner who has gotten inspired to try to protect land and. also, the Live Wildly campaign was inspired by that. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that came about? Yes. Yeah, so one of our expeditions, the 2019 Ranch to Ridge expedition that um, that featured the area we were talking about earlier, the Lake Wales Ridge, um, and it was during that expedition that um, Arnie Bellini, who's now the founder of the Live Wildly Foundation, came out to one of our events. At the beginning of each expedition, at the end, we do these sort of public send-off events, um, which happened to be held at that one at Highlands Hammock State Park. And he had learned a little bit about the corridor, got ex- in- excited by what we were doing, and has gotten more involved over time. He's become a board member of the Florida Wildlife Corridor Foundation and um, you know, really saw and understood the need to try and bring this concept for protecting Wild Florida and um, the sort of green infrastructure that the Wildlife Corridor helps provide to the state um, to the public, and so he's 
launched with with some others a, fo- a campaign called Live Wildly to really try to just bring awareness to the Florida Wildlife Corridor through a much larger sort of public appeal and audience, you know, anywhere in the state and beyond. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a lot of that um, advertising and messaging also in Spanish, which is great, um, just to try and, and have Floridians everywhere identify with the Florida Wildlife Corridor that they may most likely have never heard of. And when you're talking about the, we had the question about the Florida Greenways and just talking about all the trails. And I think FDOT doesn't get enough credit actually for all the work that they do mm-hmm. with the um, trails, walking trails and biking trails and greenways throughout the state. Um, they do do roads, but they actually do do um, a lot of greenways. And uh, you can go, you can really crisscross the entire state, state on those. We've got um, Steve from Largo on the line. So let's take, another, uh, take a call from Steve. Steve, what's on your mind? Well, first of all, I want to thank your guests for having the hope and faith that anything can save Florida's ecology. I was born and raised here, and I'm 65, and I am so filled with rage, despair, uh, depression, that I'm pretty much demobilized uh, from trying to help with conservation causes. I just, I can't engage with developers, fishermen, loggers, it's all those uh, off-road vehicle people, hunters who destroy our ecology and wildlife because it, I just feel like it, it just makes me so angry that they don't care about the beautiful native Florida that has been largely erased. I live in Pinellas. We'd be lucky to have, we, we have about 1% of our original native species and open space left here. It's like an urban hell. Oh, Pinellas is so developed. It's, they've ruined everything, and the, the gulf is empty of life. The beaches are empty of birds and shells. And the governor and his allies and all of the people that worship money, and they're just fine with a 1,000 people a day moving here and killing more and more and more. Florida in Landstat photos in 1970 was green all the way from Tallahassee to Miami. Now it's mostly brown and gray from asphalt and development. So thank you guys for having faith and hope because a lot of us just don't know what to do anymore. And I'm glad to hear this program. It makes me feel a little bit better. Well, Steve, they've actually had an impact too. They have been able to preserve tens of thousands of acres of land. But I, I get your point. And sometimes, Mallory, Steve, Steve's making a point that I think a lot of people make, which is that it feels hopeless. That's right. So how do you how do you do this every day? Well, a big part of it is to bring messages of hope to the people um, so that they can feel restored and, as Steve was saying, you know, be uplifted by the fact that there, you know, there still are solutions and there are people dedicated around the state to making a difference and it's working. So, you know... I, I think we all feel some of that doom and gloom, and there there are some organizations and conservation messaging that focuses on doom and gloom. That is not our approach because mm-hmm. we recognize that that you know what people are looking for are are stories of hope and inspiration, but also action, right? So we're very trying to move it towards action oriented solutions um, to protecting the corridor. So thanks so much for raising that, Steve. I, I'm born and raised in Pinellas County too. I live in St. Pete now, and um, I think that has a large part of my motivation to help protect the best of what's left of Wild Florida. And so you know I lived in Pinellas County, but I had the chance as a kid to spend a lot of time in Florida's heartland and to just sort of see those stark contrasts and differences and then to 
to it's been you know motivating for me to want to um, you know dedicate my life to helping to protect wild Florida. And there's a whole group of of um, followers and people who believe in this cause that give us the hope every day to keep doing what we do and to try and counter some of that um, you know just feeling of hopelessness. Thanks. Well stated. I'll leave you with this. My backyard, a little tiny suburban yard is my last way of doing this. It's a Noah's Ark. No mowing, no, no leaf blowers, mm. no poisons, all native plants and trees that I've put in. And in my neighborhood, all the bunnies and birds and squirrels hide in my backyard because there's nothing for them in the whole rest of the neighborhood. Well, thank you for doing that bit. We're going to talk some about what people can do, and I think that's just yes. a great example. Thanks, Dave, for the call. But let's talk a little bit more about how um, other ways that you're trying to inspire the public. Um, tell us about the murals. Yes. So we have a mural campaign that we're going to um, bring more widely to corridor gateway communities around the state. And we've started with three murals this year. Um, The first one is in Crystal River. And uh, last year we took an expedition um, called Spring to Shore that started in Denellen and Rainbow River State Park and worked its way down the Rainbow River and the Withlacoochee River and finished in Homosassa Bay with a, a cleanup. And that Trek was so inspiring because it's the first time we involved three teen girls, the next generation mm-hmm. of expeditioners um, who are telling this story about why they want to um, be part of this cause to their peers. And so we've been, you know, got to know that community in Crystal River and um, larger area, and we've chosen it as a place of our first mural for this mural campaign. Um, the official unveiling, I think, is November 10th. Okay. Um, and so people can follow along on our social media, see that. Um, and when you're in historic downtown Crystal River, go by and check it out. Um, and then the next mural that is going to be um, part of Second Saturday Art Walk in St. Pete, which is actually at our office headquarters, um, which we'll be building out early next year at the factory St. Pete on um, Fairfield uh, Ave South. And so as part of Second Saturday Art Walk, November 12th, it's drive by, walk by, come by, take the trolley and check out that um, mural by artist Ernesto Moranje. So we're super excited about that. And then Shine Mural Festival has been going on for the last two weeks Mm -hmm. in St. Pete. And we were uh, lucky enough to sponsor a mural by artist named Alyssa Marie, who has done a fabulous um, mural depicting parts of the, depicting the corridor, basically an alligator, mama and baby alligator um, at St. Peter's Park right off of Central Avenue in St. Pete. Now are those murals labeled in some way so that you know that we know that they're part of the Florida Wildlife Corridor campaign? Yes, they will be, even if the labels aren't up now. But one part that is going to help people um, really identify with the murals and learn from them is this embedded chip technology. So the the Crystal River mural is the first to have this for us, and we're going to be using this as we go forward. But you'll be able to scan a chip in the mural to learn more about it, see the species that are represented there, learn more about them. And it'll take you to our mural page to understand also where else around the state you can go and and, you know, we think people will, much like they get out to do many of the uh, trails, will hopefully want to go find these murals um, around the state and take road trips to these communities that are important gateway communities to the, to the corridor. And Crystal River, you chose that because of the manatees, right? Isn't that a place where manatees like to gather and in the warm water there? Absolutely. Um, people, people know it and go there um, to, you know, to see the manatees, but also there is a... One of the narrow places in the corridor that is also at risk is in that connection, as we were talking about. You know, when you go from the Green Swamp to the Nature Coast, 
there are only a few, there are a couple of narrow places in there um, that we're trying to protect. And so we have a strategy much like in the Four Corners region um, from the last green threat expedition to the spring to shore expedition. We're trying to you know, focus our work in these places that are at risk of breaks in the chain of the corridor. And that's one of them as well. We're talking to Mallory Dimmitt about the Florida Wildlife Corridor here on Wavemakers today. And, and we've got Jerry is coming back. He's got another question. Jerry and St. Pete, you're on the line. Thank you. I, I didn't think to ask this earlier, um, and but I was wondering about employment opportunities, uh, both employment and volunteer opportunities with the corridor system. That's a good question, Jerry. Mallory, are there opportunities for people to volunteer or yes. seek employment? Um, we are in the process now of sort of building out what our volunteer opportunities are going to look like. We are actually having a conversation about that right this morning before this show. Um, so I would say stay tuned. Um, stay in touch with our website, floridawildlifecorridor.org.org. Um, and you can you know both look at employment opportunities as they come up there and also we'll have much more volunteer opportunities. And another thing we're doing is uh, building out a more robust internship program. So you know it's a great way for students also who are interested in this field to get some um, early experience. Do and what will they do? Is that, are they will they go on expeditions? Do they maintain trails? Maintain trails? Or do they help with the with the campaign, the promotional campaign? Yep. It's all some, of the above. All of the above, um, <laughs> and it depends on the sort of needs at, at the time. But a lot of it has been about communications work for people who are interested in conservation communications oh, and okay. messaging, um, and developing those skills as well as some logistics for the expeditions, et cetera. Very cool. Um, we got an email from Pete Kolar, and and he says um, he's from Indian Shores. He says one of your callers stated there are no birds and shells on the beaches. He disagrees with that. He says next time there's a storm, look and see. You won't know what to do with the shells. And then he goes on to say when you. You live in paradise, people will flock there. We just have to deal with it and do what we can to make common sense. Um, do what we can that makes common sense. And I think that's where you guys are at. As yes. we talked about earlier, you're not saying stop coming to Florida, as some people might say. You're right. saying come responsibly. Absolutely. And we're saying we can work now to plan for the growth that is coming to, to Florida that we know is going to keep coming. And so we can really balance, you know, we 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 work on balancing the economy and the ecology of Florida through this statewide vision of the Florida Wildlife Corridor that gives us, you know, a blueprint, if you will, for connected conservation needs for the state. And so if we can use that as we're planning to accommodate this growth, basically we can say the same number of people can come here, but we can grow smarter and how we grow is everything, right? So that we can um, still maintain the quality of life that people come here for and um, the wildlife that use it. And then all the services that Floridians rely on that come from our natural areas, those are essential to, you know, human survival in this state mm -hmm. for generations to come. So we need all of it. And um, we have to be thoughtful then about how we develop. Um, there's a, we were talking earlier about how there have been some 56,000 or so acres of land that have been protected since the Florida Wildlife Corridor Act was passed 2021. Um, and it's done through a process that ultimately is in the hands of the Florida cabinet. Um, so there's a, a cabinet meeting coming up in November. So what can we expect from that? Is there perhaps going to be more land protected? Yeah, I think the next one's in December and we are um, looking forward to, uh, you know, more approvals for continued land protection um, around the state. And so, yes, that December cabinet meeting, it's usually the second Tuesday of the month. So I think it's the eighth. Um, <laughs> it might be, don't go be on the date, but um, 
will be another great opportunity. And what we do is work with the, um, the Division of State Lands and the Department of Environmental Protection, as well as the Florida Department of Agriculture, to understand the properties there and to, you know, put them in the press, right? So we feel like we do a great job of storytelling combined with the photography of Carlton Ward and some of his colleagues that you've had as a guest on the show already um, to tell the stories of these particular places and Mm -hmm. to celebrate each win as they occur. So that part of that message of hope is by letting people know, look, there are more acres being added to the corridor and every time something is protected, we want to celebrate that. Right. And 10,000, 20,000 at a time is great, but when you got... Eight million to do. <laughs> it's a, There's a lot daunting of work to task. Be done. So, how can people get involved? Because well, folks like Steve, they're feeling a little down. They're 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 maybe losing hope. Uh, they're seeing all the bad things. They're not seeing the good things. And I I think if people get involved, for example, if you're concerned about the political climate, knocking on doors, distributing uh, campaign information helps you engage. And so, how can folks engage with your group? Yes. So the first thing, the two, two parts there um, that I like to tackle first, one is just to get outside yourself, right? That I think is a big part of sort of restoring the why for many people. When they connect with nature, then they feel inspired again to want to support it. And then we ask you to come to our website, follow along, um, you know, keep track of what we're doing and find ways that you might want to be more engaged, that you might want to go explore the corridor, that you might want to get out and see these murals. Um, and then there are ways to take action. And so the two, you know, the top two ways I, I try to um, advocate for people taking action is one, to buy locally. When you're shopping at the grocery store, to look for that fresh from Florida brand. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps support agriculture, which as we talked about at the beginning of the show, those working lands are key to the connections in the Florida Wildlife Corridor. And we need them to stay as working lands. And so the best way to do that is by buying, is supporting Florida agriculture at the store, eating from you know fresh from Florida foods and products that you're able to do so. And the second is to support wildlife wherever you can, wherever you live. Um, so that example from someone's backyard of just making it a haven for wildlife, I think is something that we can all do where we live. And even if you're not in the corridor, you're still protecting or helping those species that we need in the corridor to have um, places, you know, uh, of refuge. And so if you can have a wildlife-friendly yard, there are many programs that you can look to even certify yourself as a uh, wildlife-friendly backyard, Um, you know, from reducing your areas of lawn, planting more native plants, those kinds of things go a long way for our native species. And also, when you talk about buying local, that actually is also good for the environment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when food doesn't have to travel as far to get to you, yep. it's um, better for the environment. That's when you, when it, when you're getting your tomatoes from California. That's a long way. That's a lot of uh, that's a big carbon footprint to get you that tomato. That's right. And our producers here are competing with imports from all around the globe. So not just you know right. um, California, but. It, it, it also helps in, you know, something people may not have thought about, but just Florida's food security. So as we are supporting local production, then we are keeping Florida from becoming reliant solely on imports of foods. But it's important to produce our food here in the state. We've got um, a, an email from Bev, who is a Circle of Friends member at WMNF. Thank you, Bev, for your support. Um, and she says, love the guest in the Florida Wildlife Corridor. The area I feel we need to most educate residents and new residents is that our drinking water comes from below our feet and runoff and all the waste 
down drains affect it. Any way we can campaign around that. So is that something that you guys are tackling? Yes. Um, You know, we were joking when we first named this um, campaign, the Florida Wildlife Corridor, that it was hard to get all the benefits in there because it's not just wildlife, it's also water, it's working lands, it's all the ecosystem services um, and water is an important one. So thanks for raising that point, Bev. Um, and we know you know, that by, by protecting a lot of our headwaters, uh, our spring sheds, um, our floodplains and important watershed areas together in the Florida Wildlife Corridor that we're you know, also helping to protect our surface water and our groundwater recharge areas. Um, as you mentioned, the water that's below our feet. So I appreciate that. Um, there's a wonderful study being worked on now um, led by the Water Institute at the University of Florida, really looking at all, you know, more quantifying the benefits of the corridor towards Florida's um, water protection and trying to, you know, you know, we know it's important for both water quantity and water quality, but um, getting more robust information about that will be will continue to be helpful. And I think you know it's important for decision makers to understand that water connection as well as the public. Well, and also what you were talking about is on your own little piece of property. If you're if you're not putting down poisons and you're um, not using fertilizer and you're doing native landscape and you're not watering all the time, then you are. Um, that's part of the process too. That's part of protecting the watershed as well. Yep. Our water our resources, supply. you know, are, are obviously precious and are under a lot of pressure. And so, you know, we, we're working not only to protect, um, you know, those headwater areas and, and, and the quality of water in our watersheds, but also to be thinking about some of the um, floodplain protection that we talked about, you know, places for water to go when we have, we either have too much or too little now at any given time. And so um, when we have too much, it's important also for water to have a place to go with less human impacts. Do you worry at all about it, the corridor and this land being sort of loved to death that everybody, people are going to go? And it, I mean, I, I think about the springs that um, and the Ichitakni River and mm-hmm. places that I used to enjoy that I go there now and it's even it, the Wikiwachi that humans have human visited it so much, loved it so much that it's not what it was. Right, you know, I worry about that in certain places in the corridor, but then when we look at the whole total size, you know, I there's enough uh, there's enough to go around when we're thinking about 10 million acres of, of protected land in the state, and there are I encourage people to find some of the lesser known areas and get out and enjoy them, um, so that we're we're not loving certain places to death as you as you mentioned, and I think some of those um, you know quota programs have gone in basically to protect those resources, yep. and, and I respect that right that that um, you know we don't want thousands of people at any given moment and we have to kind of come up with a system to the most popular places. But there are plenty of places we've discovered on these expeditions that are less traveled. And so, you know, your water management districts have public lands. There's Florida forests. Um, and for, Florida, you know, Florida state parks are are varied in their over 170 different state parks. Some of them are most actively used, but there are 160 others that you can go check out. Uh, we've got just a few minutes left. Can you maybe tell us what some of your favorite portions of the trail are that people can access and just what should we go out and check out? Maybe a top three, which I'm sure is really difficult for you. I bet you love it all. but Yeah, it's always hard to pick your, your favorite places and uh, my favorite places where I happen to be at that time. Um, but here in the Tampa Bay area, you know, one of the best, uh, closest places to get into the Florida Wildlife Corridor, I think, is through the Green Swamp. Um, which is just north of I-4 in the center part of the state. And it's kind of accessible from from all sides. But the Green Swamp Wilderness areas are really beautiful hiking. And um, the Withlacoochee and 
four of Florida's rivers kind of start from that um, green swamp area. So check that out. We've talked a little bit about some of the nature coast places that I also love to go and paddle, but one you may not be as familiar with is Chazawiska and the Chazawiska mm-hmm. River is beautiful. Um, so many of Florida's paddling trails that you can find on the um, on the Florida Greenways uh, page at DEP that that gives you itineraries to do on these um, some of these greenways and, and blueways. Um, and a particular love of mine for a paddling trip is Fishing Creek, which just feels like you know old Florida. Um, it's a very special special place. It's the place that inspired Clyde Butcher to become the. Ansel Adams of the Everglades. So get out there and live wildly, folks. Um, thanks for being with us, Mallory. Really appreciate the work you do. Really appreciate your approach to inspire rather than, than be angry. Um, and thanks to everybody who tuned in or, and everybody who called and sent an email. And um, stay for tuned for NPR News, um, followed by Music with Harrison Nash. This is WMNF Tampa. 